this morning, I didn't really intend on doing a two-part, but, but naturally, as I was flowing in the message on Wednesday, I just, there was just more stuff. You know, there was just more things because I'm always thinking, okay, so what? And that's always kind of my deal. So what? So what do I do? You know, what do I do with the things we know what we're supposed to do, but, you know, how do we do them? And so this morning, a message that God put in my heart called Drawing on the Miracle. How many of you like to draw on the miracle today? How many of you believe there's more um, that God has for you? And I just want to recap briefly and very briefly, but I want to recap... Um, what we talked about on Wednesday night, I got a lot of really great response from people who were going through things that that message, and that's, you know, of course, there's nothing greater than to hear that, that, you know, that the, the message is reaching people's lives, but there were people who really were in that kind of valley of indecision, you know, that, that, that place of just going, man, all this stuff has happened and I have to deal with it. And it's so, sometimes it feels so much easier to just sit there and say why, instead of figuring out what to do to move forward. The message on Wednesday was called, um, the why and the what now. And this was, this is, um, we, we opened by talking about D-Day. Last Sunday was the 66th anniversary of D-Day, the invasion on Normandy. And I, God had just kind of put that in my head. It wasn't something I was thinking about. And as I went online to kind of read a little bit more about it and refresh my memory about it, I realized that we had just passed, you know, the anniversary of it. And what I was thinking about was how, for being a believer, how many of you know being a believer is like war? I mean, sometimes we come into the faith believing that everything's just going to get better overnight. And, and things do get better, and you know life gets better. But how many know life gets better, but it doesn't mean that we don't have resistance. It gets better in the midst of resistance. It gets better in the midst of trials because now we have a source, we have a strength that we never had to overcome, and we have the promise of overcoming. But I think about those young boys hopping off that ship and how many of them, you know, something like 100, they, they estimate anywhere from 150, 180,000 people were involved in that. And the people who got on a ship in the middle of the night under the full moonlight and, and came across the water so that right at sunrise they could be hitting that beach. And something like 10,000 of them were, were, were killed very, very quickly. And, and I just think about, I, I picture myself running off that boat, you know, charging with a gun. And people who I just spent you know, days or years with to my right and left being killed. And I think sometimes it feels a little bit like that when we serve God. People who we just thought for sure we're just going to endure the race with us don't for whatever reason, or they give up or they get disillusioned or, or people get sick, people die and, and people leave us. And there's just times where it's so easy to just say, why did that happen? I never in my wildest dreams thought that would have had to happen. Why did that have to happen? We've had people in this church we love unexpectedly and tragically, you know, go home to be with the Lord and praise God they get to go home to be with the Lord, but we miss them, right? And so there's, there's times to say why. But, you know, when you're charging the beach, when you're charging Omaha Beach, that's not really the time to stop and scratch your head and say why, is it? Because those are the moments of decision. Those are the moments where you have to make a decision that, you know, really you draw a line in the sand. You either are going to spend the rest of your life just standing still and asking why, which makes you vulnerable to the enemy, or you're going to keep your gun and you're going to charge forward with the things that God's put in your heart to do. We have that decision every single day. And I think we all probably know people who have just kind of put their gun down, sat down, said, man, I, that's just not right. You know, the Bible says this, and I was believing this, and then this happened. And I think we all could get up here and hold a microphone and talk about things that just still may be perplexed. Why did, why did that happen? We had a year of a bunch of whys. But, you know, we had the opportunity to, to ask the question, what now? And, and this, the quote, if they can put it up there, Sandy, the quote was one that we found um, from John MacArthur. And it was someone that actually shared it on Facebook. Praise God for Facebook, right? What a great way to influence people. I love it. But uh, can you put that quote up, Sandy? It was a quote that was attributed to John MacArthur, and it goes like this. The question of why has no, satisfac no satisfactory answer. I mean, you know, that's true sometimes. The question of what now can turn a person from grief to action, from loss to healing, 
from sorrow to joy and from feelings of utter devastation to feelings of purpose. Why is a question that keeps a person looking backward in time, but what now is a question that moves a person forward towards the future? Have you been there before? Have you had the whys and the what nows? And so we talked on Wednesday and we talked about the story. One of my favorite stories because it's kind of about worship to me. And it's the story of Mary, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they were friends. They were very close. And Jesus was, was um, I think, only two miles away or something like that. But he had gotten word that his friend Lazarus was sick. And for, I still don't know why, but for whatever reason, I mean, he said it was so people could believe. And I can see when you know the end of the story, you can begin to maybe understand why he did things. But in the time he didn't, he just stayed where he was for two more days and Lazarus got sicker and sicker and eventually he died. And Jesus comes to town and the first person to meet him who runs out to him is Martha. And she says the same thing that probably any one of us would say. She says the why she goes, master, if you, if you would have been here, my, my brother would have lived. And And then she says, but then she switches gears and she goes into the most important thing. And she says, but nevertheless, and I'm paraphrasing, but I know that God hears you and whatever you ask of God, he's going to give it to you. You see how she switches really quickly from the why to the what now? And then Jesus gives the promise. See, after the what now comes the what now wisdom. That's what we talked about on Wednesday. The what now wisdom for Martha was your brother will rise again. Your brother will live again. And it didn't make sense because her... You know, think about it. Her history, when once you die and you're put in a tomb, you're dead. There's no, you know, next step. And so she, so then Mary comes out and she has kind of the same experience and says, man, if you just would have been here, you know, but she, she fell at his feet and worshiped him. And I think that's such a great, when, when we talk about worship sometimes, when we talk in the team about worship, one of those levels of worship is that are you able to worship even in the sense, even in the midst of feeling betrayed by God? Because sometimes things happen and the enemy will, will make you feel like God has betrayed you. And those are times, those are maybe the hardest seasons to worship God. But those are the most important seasons to worship God. And what happens is out of that worship comes answers, comes the what now. What now do we do? And if you go to the end of the story, you find out that, uh, that Lazarus was raised from the dead. And it was an amazing story. Jesus says, I did all these things happened for one reason, so that you would believe. He was turning that situation around. He said, I'm going to use this situation. didn't say that he caused the situation, but it said that he used the situation to be glorified, which means to reveal. When you glorify something, you reveal what it is. You reveal its true nature. You make it. It's like show and tell. Here it is on a pedestal. And that's what he did, man. He, he was glorified. He said, you know what? The power of God is about to be manifest. It's about to be seen. And, uh, and now is the time, and this is the place. But it happened because people were willing to pursue that what now wisdom. So we don't, we don't stay in why. We move into what now. And what, what now is, what now draws on the wisdom of God. Today we talk about drawing on the miracles of God. We ended that. We ended Wednesday night with just some quick little bullet points. I like bullet points. I like points because they give us something to do. You know what I mean? Uh, how many of you ever read a book and it was really a great book and you enjoyed it and then like a week later you didn't even remember a thing about it? That's like most books I read for some reason. I don't know why. I just trust it's in there and that it comes out when it needs to, but I, don't always, I couldn't always tell you a month later what I read. That's why I write notes in the binding, but these are the bullet points. We have some action points, and this is the first thing. Be honest with the Lord. I've met too many people, including myself, who aren't honest with the Lord sometimes. We do, instead of just... Being, you know, instead of just fellowshipping with God and, and knowing that he's near and he can handle everything that you bring him to him, instead of just saying, God, this hurts, or God, why did this have to happen, or God, what am I supposed to do now with all of this? Instead, you know, he's able to take those things. And I've met far too many believers who felt like that wasn't faith. 
And so they just kind of repressed it. And they just said, nope, it's okay. And by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. And everything's going to be okay. And I'm just going to, you know, put on my son. And I'm going to go on and pretend it never happened. But it, how many of you know it happened? And, it, and, there's, and so God is big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough. And that's why I said Wednesday, the question about why and what now, it does not say that we never ask why. It's not that God, God wants to tell us why. He wants to give us revelation. He says, call on me and ask me, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't understand. So there's a time and place to say why, but it's not when you're storming Omaha Beach. Does that make sense? You know, there's times when you're vulnerable to the enemy. That's not the time to have a pity party. That's not the time to say why and stop. That's the time to charge forward and say what now. And so what we ended up with on Wednesday was to, one, be honest with the Lord. Keep it real, we said. Just be real with God. He's able to take your frustration. You don't have to wait to come to him until you've cooled off. Tell him everything you're thinking. Let him minister. Let him absorb. Let him take the things off your back that you're carrying. Number two, strengthen yourself in the Lord right? That's what David did when he came back to Ziklag. He had been doing everything right. He came back to Ziklag and what should have been a great homecoming was to find out that his family had been stolen. His stuff had been burned up and destroyed. And it was a, it was an absolute uh, tragedy. But what he did was he wept and then he asked God, he, he strengthened himself in the God. He reminded himself who God was, reminded himself that the story's not over that God's always able to keep working. And then he inquired of the Lord. And I love it that Dan um, took that, um, that passage about Jehoshaphat in the offering message because Jehoshaphat had did the same thing. Man, he, when he didn't know it, and he said, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. The enemy's surrounded. We're outnumbered. What do we do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And that's the what now. It's saying, God, all right, forget it. This has all happened. Can't change the past. It is what it is. But what now? And then God gave him the the story that you heard about the worshipers going forth and shouting and, and praising and confusing the enemy. And how many know your worship confuses the enemy? If you want to confuse the enemy, you want to shut the enemy up, get in your prayer closet, begin to worship God because the enemy does not know what to do with worship. He used to be the worship leader. He's no longer the worship leader and he does not know what to do with it. When you begin to worship, it confuses him and it gets him off your back. So inquire for the Lord, inquire of the Lord for your what now wisdom, press forward, say press forward. I love what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I lay a hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me, so I press toward the prize. There's always, it's always the season to press forward. You know what I mean? It's never not the season to press forward. It's always the season to press forward and lay a hold of basically the inheritance that God has given you. Time to go turn the key, open the safe deposit box, get that thing out and begin to use it. And then the last thing we talked about was lift up your head. And that came out of some, a couple of scriptures. I shared Genesis 21, and that was the story where, do you remember where Abraham had to, was, God asked him to sacrifice his child, which seems just like an appalling thing to even think of. You just have to understand the culture. You have to understand covenant. You have to understand God's relationship with Abraham. Abraham was going to do it. They were on top of the mountain. He was about to sacrifice him. And, and then God commanded him, hey, Abraham, lift up your eyes. And when he looked up, he saw a ram caught in the thicket. Now, a ram would have been a substitute sacrifice would have been something that you could put on the altar and sacrifice and so god was saying in this passage lift up your eyes no matter what you're going through lift up your eyes because you're going to see the provision that way when life circumstances happen and and heartache happens and you'll know you're in the why season because you look like this and you're walking around and your head's down and you're frustrated and people ask you how's it going you say things like well pretty good considering the circumstances or you say things like well i you know i just don't know what i'm going to do and and you're speaking the problem and not the solution you miss the happens is you miss the provision that way. Abraham had, had the motivation to look up and that's where he saw. Now there's a couple other places where uh, God uses that language in Psalm 24. It says, lift up your heads. O you gates and lift up your, uh, well, I just lost it. Lift up and be lifted up. You everlasting doors and the King of glory shall come in. How would you like the King of glory to come into your situation? 
Amen? Lift up your heads. And then Luke 21 says he was talking to the disciples about all the crazy things that were going to happen in the end times. You know, and I think we, I mean, this message should reach us when you see all kinds of crazy stuff going on, oil spills and terrorism and, 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 and terrible parenting and kids doing crazy things. And when you see all these things happen, this is what he says, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I don't want to miss out on my redemption. I don't want to miss out on the provision that's going to cause my situation to turn around for good. I don't want to miss it out. And so we've in our family purpose, no matter what we walk through, we're going to lift up our heads and we're going to see the goodness of God. So that's where we ended Wednesday night. There, you caught up? Should we take a second offering for those of you who weren't here Wednesday? I'm just kidding. This is the what now part two, okay? Drawing on the miracle. Drawing on the miracle. James 1, uh, in James 1, it's our famous passage. We always read about wisdom, right? It's probably the first thing you think of when people says, how do you get wisdom? You think James 1, 2, 3, 8. He says, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And you're thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, I just love various trials when I fall into them. That's my favorite thing, right? (laughs) But he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. That means like to be mature. You want to be mature? Let patience become a part of who you are. Because patience is the what now. You know, anybody can be impatient and say why and be frustrated and yell and scream. But But the patient person says, you know what? What now, God? What do we do? I'm waiting on you. I'm inquiring of you. I'm strengthening in you. Now I need your wisdom to go forth. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? Just pastors, right? I mean, any of you, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. How many of you asked for wisdom, but you knew that you had no intention of actually running with it? It just seemed like the thing to do. Maybe you were hoping he would tell you something you didn't already know, and it would be different. You know, you know you're supposed to go talk to that person. You say, oh, God, what do you want me to do today with this wonderful day? Go speak to that person. No, God, what do you want me to do today? <laughs> I didn't hear you. What did you want me to do today? La, 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 la. We pray in tongues a little bit. And, uh, but he says, ask in faith. Without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. For not let that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord, because he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So when we come to God for that what now wisdom, we got to muster up that faith to believe that we're actually going to do something with it. Because when we do the wisdom, when we, and this is what we're talking about tonight, action. When, when, when we commit to the action on the wisdom that God gives us from the what now, right? Why? What now? What now? Wisdom. What now? Action. And that's what we do to draw on the miracle. We're going to talk about that today a little bit in, in the last few minutes that we have together. In Matthew 14, Jesus, uh, you can go to there if you want and just kind of skim through it. Matthew 14 is a story that we always focus on the feeding of the 5,000. But the reality was, if you always, I always like to kind of back up. Are you like that when you read the word? Just back up, get a little bit of context, find out what's going on just before, you know. And, and, and in Matthew 14 is where we read the story about Jesus and the disciples feeding the 5,000. But many times we forget what happened right before that. What happened right before that was the murder of John the Baptist. You know, John, Jesus' cousin was cruelly, tragically murdered. He gets word of it. And he does what any of us would want to do, run. I mean, just get away from the crowd, get away from the noise, try to sort it out, you know, get some alone time. And he tries to kind of withdraw, but the crowds are following him. 
You know, he's, 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 he's full on in ministry. Miracles, signs, and wonders are happening everywhere he goes. The crowd follows him. And so they follow him out to this place, and all of a sudden they, they feel responsible for these people because they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's 5,000 men. Who knows how many women and children? And all of a sudden the disciples and Jesus feel like we have to feed them. And you all know, you know, you basically know how the story ends. But here's the thing. Out of Jesus, probably one of the most hard, hurtful things that he experienced at that point in his life, out of that season, imagine the wise, right? Even with Jesus' perspective, he was still a human being. <clears throat> and, and that hurt, you know? And even out of that terrible season, one of the greatest miracles that we continue to read about today came out of that season. And I think a lot of us are like that right now. In the season of our hurt, in the season of being pressed, in the season of decision, when we say what now, when we're willing to go the next leg through our hurt, you know, because you don't want to miss the miracle. And sometimes through our pain, sometimes through our hurt, we got to press through. And sometimes our biggest miracles on the brink. And I just want to tell you today, you might be on the brink of your biggest miracle. If you'll just press into what now and just ask God for the wisdom that you need to go to the next step, your finest days are ahead of you. Amen. Okay. So the what now action draws on the miracle. And if I have my Stan, are you around? Stan's going to help me with my visual aid this morning. You like visual aids? I do. I'm a visual person. Today we're drawing on the promises of God. And so, heaven's supply. It doesn't get any more basic than this, folks. Heaven's supply, people's need. Hey, Andy, I need your help up here, buddy. I'm looking at you. I'm thinking you're a guy who's siphoned stuff before. I'm just... <laughs> it's all clean. I, 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 I personally washed the buckets, and I personally washed that. So you, when, I, when I tell you, you siphon for me, okay? So this is... <laughs> okay, so this is what happens. You all know what siphoning is, right? So I, of course, went to Wikipedia, the source of all information on the internet. And I had to read again about siphoning and to realize that siphoning is this miraculous thing that happens when you can charge this thing, when you can somehow pump this tube full of a liquid... And the place that you want to go to, the source and the reservoir, when the reservoir is below the source and you build up enough pressure in that thing, after a one-time charge, that thing will run itself. And what we're talking about today is we're talking about drawing on the miracles of heaven. And how many of you know you've got to prime that pump sometimes? You have to prime. You have to get things moving sometimes. And basically, I'm just going to go ahead and blow it and give you the point of this whole message, okay? So then if you just want to leave, you can leave after I say this. But here's the deal. If you will draw on, if you will cause something to begin happening in motion, you will literally pull behind you a vacuum of the, of the promises of God in your life. We wait and we sit here and say, okay, well, as soon as God heals me, then I will go start healing, praying for other people. Well, as soon as I have more money, then I will start helping people. Well, as soon as I get my life in order, then I'll start serving at church. Or as soon as I get my life together, I'll start even going to church. That's one of my favorites, right? As if you got to clean up to come here. I mean, I'm living proof. You don't have to clean up to come here. You know what I'm saying? I would say in my life, priming the pump for me is surrounding myself with the right people, people that encourage me, you know, people that remind me that, that even though it may be a dry season for me, that God is still moving. 
Um, for me, priming the pump is reading the word continually. You know, we, we, don't, we don't skip meals very easily, but for some reason it's really easy to skip spiritual meals sometimes. To stay in the word of God, you know, to, to continue to pray, to have a prayer journal. We talk about prayer journals all the time, and I'm telling you why. Sometimes you forget the things that God tells you. Sometimes you forget the things that you prayed, but then you look back and you go, and even maybe things are a little stagnant here, but then you look back and you realize, oh, God told me that. I never even did that. That may be a key to why things are stagnant right now. That's how you prime the pump. You begin to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You begin to remind yourself the promises of God. When there's sickness in your body, you remind yourself that sickness is an unwelcome intruder in the body of a believer. That sickness has to flee because of the name of Jesus, because by his stripes we're healed. And when there's torment in your family and there's confusion, you claim the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you speak it and you pray over the walls of your house. You prime the pump. Go ahead, Andy. We prime that thing. Look at him go. There was no dignified way for me to do that. And look at that. But notice now, he's not doing anything. I mean, look at that. Creflo Dollar, I used to listen to Creflo Dollar a bit, and he used to have this line I love. He called sweatless victory. You ever heard him say that? Sweatless victory. And I always thought, yeah, I know, but I mean, sometimes it's like it's really a lot of work to serve God. You know, you got to, the work is getting over yourself. But once you prime the pump, look how sweatless that is. I believe that's how God wants us to live. Now, here's the thing. When I say there's, it's sweatless victory, it doesn't mean that you're still not doing something. Because Andy, the moment that he lifts that hose, I mean, the moment that he takes away the reservoir, or the moment that he takes away the hose, you know, air bubbles can begin to come up in that thing, and it will stop that flow. Now, the other day, we were having problems with our air conditioner freezing up at, at church. And one of the problems that we were having was that little room where the air wasn't getting enough return air. We always think about the air going out, but for all the air that goes out has to come. I'm going to have you do it one more time, so just stay close. <laughs> Buddy old pal. Wait, Stan, that was the wrong bucket. That's the cleaner. I'm just kidding. And um, so we had this problem where the, the, the room was... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He'll find a way to shoot me from over here. I know Andy. He's like our resident MacGyver. He'll find a way. So... So the air kept freezing up. We couldn't figure out why, but the, there were these vents. There's these little louvered vents on the doors, but there, there was, when you really looked at them, there hardly any air actually went through them. They had been painted, and they were, I don't even know why they were really there. They didn't really pass air, and we had a guy actually come out and look at it, and he says, check this out, and he'd open the door, turn on the furnace, and that door would go Poof. And pull shut. That's how hard it was drawing on air. And so, you know, there was not, there was something blocking the intake. And I think sometimes we're doing the right things. We're giving, we're coming to church, we're praying, we're doing all these things that we know to do. And yet still the flow stops or it turns into a trickle. And what I found is there's filters sometimes at the top end of that hose. You know, Kenneth Copeland talked about a funnel where he saw a vision one time of a funnel and the blessings of God were coming down it, but out the bottom end was a trickle and it was because there was all this sand and rock and stuff clogged in the funnel and all that, that the Lord showed him was unforgiveness. And it was things, you know, bitterness and envy and jealousy and things like that that clogged. So even when everything's working right, you've got supply, you've certainly got demand, you've got the conduit, but on the filters of the input of that conduit, see, here's the thing that I'm, that I'm finding out. I used to think that was me. My goal is to get the blessing of heaven into my life. But do you know what I've realized? And I'll show you how I got there by going through a couple of stories with you. But you know what? That's me. I'm the conduit. I'm not the, I'm not the reservoir. I'm certainly not the source. I'm the conduit. Because as you do this thing, you realize that our job is to connect heaven and earth. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Our job is to help people take the supply of heaven 
and, and, and prime the pump in our own life, be that conduit, and then take it places. Right? Get a vision of being the conduit, not the reservoir. If you're the conduit, then you're always going to be thinking about where's it supposed to go. You're never going to just sit there and go, oh, finally, I can sit down and watch my flat screen TV and I don't have to do anything, you know? Get a vision for your life being the conduit. And when you are the conduit, then you begin to feel the responsibility of keeping it unclogged. You know, do it for us one more time. Come on, give us a vision here. It just keeps on going and going. Give Andy a hand and then I'll... That's why I didn't ask you before the service. I knew you couldn't say no once we were in service. (laughs) It just keeps on coming. And let's get a vision for being that conduit, you know, and bringing heaven's supply to people's need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn to your Bibles. Thanks, Andy. Let's talk about the widow's oil in 2 Kings 4. Turn to 2 Kings 4. That made me thirsty. Thanks, Andy. (laughs) The widow's oil. A certain woman, this is uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets called, cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. How many of you know that's a bad day for mom? Right? I mean, seriously, that's, that is a bad day. That's a desperate situation. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? You know, I'm amazed how many times my kids come to me and just tell me a problem. And they've grown very accustomed to my just kind of staring at them like, what do you want me to do about it? Right? I'm dad. You know I can make things happen, but you're just telling me a problem. Why don't you ask me what you want me to do for you? And what, what does the prophet say? What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have? And then he gets, the, he gets you know, what can you do basically? What, what do you have? And that's a question I want you to think about. We all have needs. We all could stand up here and say what our needs are. The question is, what do you have today? What do you have? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Just nothing but a jar of oil. That's all I have. How many of you just, I don't really have much to give. I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't really have a lot of talents, right? What do you have in your house? Not how much. What do you have in your house? And so then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't just gather a few. And when you come in, you shall shut the door behind you. Now, that's, that was something I never really paid attention to before, but that's important. Shut the door behind you. How many of you know when you're in the Y season, it's very easy to find people to get in agreement with you? I mean, people who love you, people who genuinely have your back, but it's so easy for them just to say, I know, why could they do that to you? How in the world? They're a Christian and they did that to you. Can you? But I tell you, I would never. And you can find, you can have a pity party really quick, right? But they said, shut the door. Shut the door to the opinions of the crowds. Shut the door to the negativity of the news. Shut the door to any source of, of doubt in your life. Because remember, when we come to God for wisdom, we have to come not doubting, right? Yeah. So shut the door on your doubt. And she says, and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. You need to pour out whatever you have, you know? For the Sudan Sunday, you may not, you know, you may wish that you had $5,000 to give in the offering, but you have five. You know what? Pour out what you have. Give five. Five's an awesome start, right? Five might just be the thing to prime your pump and get the blessings flowing through that conduit so that you can make it 10 next month and 50 the next month and 100 next year. Amen? That's how you prime the pump. And so she went through him, shut the door behind her and the sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full, then she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, Oops, wouldn't want to be this one. There is not another vessel. 
and so the oil ceased. The moment that we stop being willing and able, you know, the moment that we stop bringing something to be full is the moment the oil stops. And we don't want the oil to stop. We want that flow to just keep on going because unlike that bucket, heaven's supply has no limit. It doesn't end. It won't go dry if you leave it running all night. And so he says, she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. How many of you know the miracle that they draw on had a purpose? It was to get out of debt. It wasn't just to have a cush life, although they were able to live on some of it, but it wasn't just, to, just for the sake of having something. It was to accomplish a purpose. Now I want you to go to John 2. And this is a New Testament miracle that is very similar. John chapter 2, 1 through 12. This is the water to wine story, which I'm sure we've all read a couple of times. All probably made up our mind what it means. Well, let's, let's see a couple of different things in here. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, mind you, this wasn't a direct real... I mean, this was just... It wasn't his party. This was just a party he wasn't attending, right, for a relative. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. That's, that's deep. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that, that, there's some meaning behind that. I'm not going to get into that right now. But she, she again, like, like the woman before, comes and says, there's no wine. Yeah? What's your point? Right? What do you want me to do about it? Right? Put a, put a demand. Don't just say why. Don't just, don't just be problem. You know, it doesn't take a lot of, of energy to find a problem. You know that's true? There's professional problem investigators that I know in my life, but it takes a lot more. If, you know, Billy Joe Doherty used to say all the time, and we've learned this through our staff, you know, uh, problems are a dime a dozen. Bring me a solution. You know, that's the guy I want to hire is the guy with the solution, right? So Jesus said to her, uh, his mother said to the servants, and this is her, that's the why, you know, basically the why. They're like, oh, there's a problem here. What do we do? Uh, here's the what now. Whatever he says to do, do it. This is Jesus' mother. She knows he can take care of the situation. She says to the people serving, whatever he says, you do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification, out of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, right? Start with what you have, again, fill the water pots with water, they filled them up to the brim. Now, I mean, think about this for a second. You've got a party in motion, people have been drinking, how many of you think the party would be happy to have water brought out halfway through the party? <laughs> fill the water pots with water, they fill them up to the brim. And he said, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Wow, that takes some guts, doesn't it? Bring some water to the master of the feast. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. I like that they put that in there. They knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you've kept the good wine until now. I'm telling you, man. When, when you draw on the miracle of God, I think we, we think that our finest is what we can come up with. You know, after all, I've spent years learning and I've spent years honing in my talent and my gift and building my business. And, and so what I can come, to, you know, by payday, what I can come up with is, that's pretty awesome, right? That is pretty awesome. But you know what's even more awesome? Drawing on the miracle of God. Because God is not limited. He doesn't set out the least at the end. He, he's, he's got the best. And, I, and again, I just want to tell you, I believe you're on the brink of your best. If you draw on the miracle of God, you're going to find his absolute finest. It's a promise from him. 
you got to provide the vessels. you got to commit to action. Those guys had to commit to pouring. They had to start with what they had, so they had to realize what they had. They had to be willing to give it, right? Just like the widow and the oil, them in the water, and then they had to pour. They literally had to pour this thing not knowing. I don't know that that thing turned red the minute Jesus blessed it. I mean, it might not have turned red until they started pouring, you know, or whatever color it was. And so there was a risk. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, we started by saying that we're in a war. You know, we're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is trying to stop us from accomplishing what God has for us. It's not the time to scratch our head and say why. When we're in war, we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay moving forward. We've got to stay connected to, to the chief in command. You know, we've got to stay connected to our communication systems that tell us what to do and where to go. And we have to be willing to do the things that we have been trained to do. And so when they committed, when they poured, the miracle came. And that's, again, that miracle was about taking care of a problem. It wasn't so the disciple, it wasn't so Jesus could just have a bunch of wine on his table. It was to serve a purpose. And again, get a vision today for being the conduit. Get a vision that your life is about, see, we are connected to heaven. We're connected to heaven. If you, are, if you are born again, your spirit man on the inside of you is the part that connects with heavens. When you pray in the spirit, we pray beyond our own understanding. And we, we draw deep into that river of, of the things that are connected to heaven. We pull down. We create a vacuum. I mean, you know, the, in drafting and racing, right? Drafting is when you get in front of someone moving ahead of you, and you get in their draft, and literally they pull. They pull you in. That's what happens when you commit to take a step forward. For every positive action, there's a negative action. And I'm telling you what, if you'll get a vision for, for moving forward in life, you will absolutely draw the promises of God. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said to Martha. Do you believe this? Because when it really came down to it, that was the, really the big thing that mattered. It doesn't matter that I said it. It doesn't matter that it's written in there. The question is, do you believe it? And the question is today, do you have things that you know that you can do to take a step forward and create a vacuum that pulls in the promises of God? In Deuteronomy 28, it says that the blessings of God will overtake us. How many of you know you have to be moving in order to be overtaken? Amen? So the what now, that's an important question. You know, time to say, God, this happened. It is what it is. What do I do now? That brings the what now wisdom. When you take the what now wisdom and you begin to act on it, you draw on the miracle. And what you find out is what they really say, your best is coming yet. It really is true because God has the best wine. God has the best provision. God has the oil that doesn't run dry, that he's getting ready to put upon you. If you'll first believe him and take what you have and pour it out. Amen. Will you stand up at your feet? Let's pray this morning. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.